Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've joined us. Who cares for us when we get older? It's a question that we all face, and sometimes we face it with great trepidation and uncertainty. But the answer to that question is not just about what happens to us. It's also about what happens to the people who end up giving us the care that keeps us all right. Becoming that caregiver often happens without that person having any real say in the matter. And so often, that person is a woman. And even more often than that, that person is a woman of color. That's where we want to start the conversation today. And I've got a really, really special guest to help us think about some of these issues. Des Cooper is a journalist and activist and a full-time caregiver for her aging parents. She is one of the people I look to the most to help me make sense of the issues in our community, the issues in our culture. And Des Cooper joins us now to talk about these things. Des, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. So good to be here. It's really great to see you. Um, So let's start with you talking about your own story. You are a full-time caregiver to your parents. Uh, What's that like, and uh, how did that happen? So um, a lot of people don't even realize that I'm not living in Detroit anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And some of that is on purpose because this has been my home for over 30 years. It's my adulting happened here and raising my kids. But about three years ago, it became really obvious um, that my parents, especially my mother, who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's more than a decade ago, were really going to need some more care. And I encountered some health issues. I mean, you you open the segment talking about who's going to take care of us, and that certainly is a big question for me. Um, I was in a car accident, and I um, was slowly recovering. I couldn't go back to work. So it kind of made sense within my family, which is very small, my brother and I, that I moved back home. And while I'm recovering, make sure they're getting their medication and they're getting to the doctors on time and getting some square meals. And um, it sort of turned into now, almost three years later, um, the situation becoming more and more dire, you know, and the questions more and more formidable about uh, do I separate them? Does one go into care and the other doesn't? You know, how do we maintain them in the home? How much care can you afford? which is why a lot of um, lower-income people and uh, people of color end up being caregiving for longer and more intensely. I mean, I think there's a cultural aspect, too, about keeping families together that may be different in communities of color. Um, but there's the financial consideration. There's just nothing else that can there's be done. No other, there's no other real choice. Right. So... we're Facebook friends and I know mostly what I know about your situation from, from that medium, Mm -hmm. you post pretty frequently about the things that happen between you and your parents, the things they say, the things they do. Can you give the listeners a sense of what that's like? Uh, I I feel like it's, it's a complicated uh, daily existence. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's so complicated. I uh, last Sunday, um, sometimes we take Sunday drives, uh, my brother and I, um, with my parents, and I was on the Sunday duty last Sunday, <laughs> and um, I was just chatting with my parents, and 
my dad said something and I go, oh, no, you don't. You don't ever do that. And he goes, how do you know? And I'm like, because I live with you. And he said, no, you don't. I have been there for three, almost three years. (laughs) And he goes, where do you stay? And I mean, he really was arguing with me about that. And while I understand it's the disease and I didn't get mad, I know my my heart's pounding right now because it felt like it erased all of the sacrifice that's happening and all of the day-to-day care. Like, how do you think you're getting fed? How do you think your clothes are clean? How do you think your bed is getting made? Um, And he did not mean to communicate that. But that little girl inside of me, that person that that came to um, older middle age and had to completely transform my life, I want validation from mommy and daddy, mm. right? Um, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah. You, you know, know, I, I <clears throat> recall when uh, the first time I went to see my grandmother mm-hmm. after she had uh, uh, entered that phase of, of dementia and, and, and Alzheimer's, uh, she didn't know me. Mm-hmm. She said, my mother said, you know, this is, this is Stephen. This is your grandson. And she looked at me. She goes, who the hell is Stephen? Yeah, I mean, she hard. just she just had no idea who it was, and I remember that feeling that I had mm-hmm. at that moment that mm-hmm. this person who had been one of the closest people in the world to me for most of my life no longer had any recognition of me or felt any connection. But I will say that that we spent the day together that day, and by midday, she was there a little more Mm -hmm. she was she still didn't really know who i was Mm -hmm. but she was kind of accepting of the idea that i was her grandson Mm -hmm. and she was willing to indulge that she was willing to interact with me in a way that that validated that and and i felt i felt so uh so desperate to hang on to that idea to hang on to that little bit of interaction because I wasn't going to get anything else. Yeah, it's a roller coaster because there is, it's not like a, a straight decline. It's up and down. And it depends on sort of why you're having dementia or Alzheimer's also. It can be more stroke related or so. Um, it depends on sort of what gets erased when, you know. And so you can have those times where they completely are there and then they're gone. And it's it's a emotional roller coaster. Um, I had one of the moments I remember most. I'm kind of used to these body blows (laughs) at this point, and I kind of roll with it. But when I was new to the game, my mother was the consummate June Cleaver mother. All she ever wanted was children and to take care of them. And I remember as a child thinking, I'm so lucky to have this mother. That's how wonderful she was. And um, the title of my one and only book is Know the Mother. Um, And it's, you know, partly about um, what women give to their families Mm -hmm. and how much of themselves they give. Um, And I was sitting with my mom talking and she just looked at me and said, now who's your mother? And I'm like, I I, I don't think I said anything because I'm like, well, it's one thing for you to forget me, but for you to forget that you are a mother was mind-blowing. And then she said, was she good to you? And that, I I can't, I just get choked up thinking about that because that's all she was, Mm -hmm. you know, or that's everything she was. Um, 
Go ahead. Are there are there times or are there places where you are able to recover any of that with them that that they are able to 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 just be who they were for even a moment? It's rare, and I have said <clears throat> um, that I've almost forgotten who my parents were. Like they're new people, and um, these are different people. Exactly. And I've forged a new relationship with the new people. But sometimes I, I sit there and try to imagine, like, in live motion what my mother looked like and, and what she was like walking through the house and everything. And it's getting harder and harder for me to even bring that up anymore. Um, it's so different from raising children. And people do make that analogy. Um, and I think one huge difference is that there's learning with children, even from day to day. You know, you can put a toddler to bed one night and they can wake up with a whole new set of words the next morning. <laughs> and you're like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. Or the ability. I always say, I remember the day my son left the earth. Like he jumped up <laughs> and he was like, whoa, how did that happen? You know, um, and those those discoveries don't really happen um, when the reverse is happening. And you know that every day you have is the best day you're going to have. You know, that's as good as it's going to get. And the next day is not going to be as good. Um, so there's not that hope of um, turning a corner or doing something new. Um, it really is a long goodbye, which is people talk about Alzheimer's as. Yeah. My guest is Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and activist, full-time caregiver for her aging parents. Uh, we're talking about this idea of who cares for us when we get older and what happens to those people who provide that care. How does it change them? Uh, how do the burdens that are on them shape their lives? As always, uh, we're interested in what you think about this. Uh, if you want to call and join the conversation, tell us, are you someone who's caring for a relative or a loved one? How did you end up in that situation? And what would you like people to know about your being a caregiver? If you're not a caregiver, uh, would you voluntarily take on that role for somebody? Think about your parents or even maybe a sibling. Uh, who might need you to be there for them at some point. Why would you do that or why not? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Des, you are uh, writing about this now and writing about it as an issue of gender and racial equality, which is not, I think, a context that most people are accustomed mm -hmm. to thinking of this issue. And tell us why you see it in those terms and want other people to see it in those terms. Well, I mean, our national policy toward bringing people into the world and ushering them out of this world is get a girl to do it. That is our, our formal national policy. It's always women. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to speak so categorically because, of course, there are more and more men that are in both positions, uh, child raising and um, caregiving. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, but it has traditionally been about women. And even if it's not a woman in your family, you're going to hire a woman, a, a low-wage worker, 
to step in where you can't. Um, and that cannot continue to be our national policy. How, how are we going to have the next citizens? Who are your children going to marry? Who are you going to employ if you're not willing to bring people into this world in a sane way? And then your, to your question at the, at the top of the segment, how are you leaving here? Who's going to escort you out? And is it going to have to continue to be catch as catch can? If you're lucky, blah, blah, blah. If, you're, if your income wasn't wiped out by economic trials and tribulations and you have somewhere to stay, then you're, you know, good. If not, good luck um, and get a girl to do it. And, and part of that is so I, you know, I love, dearly love my parents. And I just think about people who don't dearly love their parents. Hmm. Um, who are who are dealing with um, exes? I know people who have had to take time to take care of ex spouses. I mean, you've left these people, but there's no one, no one else. But who else is going to right. do it? And and it's the cost is enormous, not just emotionally, but also economically. And so women are shouldering an economic burden that the society is not paying for. Um, and it is it is drastically unfair. There are 30 million, I mean, 3 million new cases of Alzheimer's every year. 60% of caregivers for Alzheimer's patients are women. A third of them are doing that full time. And 40% of them feel like they had no choice in the matter. So nice. I had a choice and it's been monstrous. But did you really have a choice? But did I have a choice? I mean, that's well, uh, choice is something that yeah. I think that that uh, it implies agency, obviously. Yeah. And do you really have agency over whether you would take care of your parents if they needed this care? Well, that's um, that's the argument. I mean, women are sort of socialized around this, and so it really feel. I, I interviewed a number of women for a, a piece that I'm working on, and so many of them were just, they really were in that space of, I wanted to do this. I took care of my mother, and so uh, she took care of my mother, me, and so I'm going to take care of her. And I'm like, hold it, hold up. My mother took care of me, so I took care of my children and my grandchildren. Right. Don't give me that argument that, and so now I take care of her, because that is a never-ending loop that puts women in a loop that often excuses men from that same loop. It certainly excuses society. So, so the gender dimension of that is, is really clear as you, as you lay it out. Talk about what the racial dimensions of that are. Race, of course, is an aggravator mm-hmm. in every mm-hmm. issue in, in our society. Talk about where it plays here. Well, I mean, first of all, um, a huge proportion of caregivers, of paid caregivers, are minority women, um, women of color. Um, and I and I do have to say, you know, all work is 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 honorable, um, and thank God the women are there. But I I can't help but look at the legacy of caregiving and enslavement and what we expect our care home caregivers to be. Um, and I think that legacy is very much continued 
that this is an avenue that's of employment that's open for low-wage women of color because mm-hmm. we're used to that servant class being in that category. Um, and I think because it is dominated by women, that makes it low-wage. I always say, look at nursing. Keep your eye on nursing because so many men are becoming nurses, the wages are going to go up, you know, as long as now, it was right? now. <laughs> right. Um, so... You know, and, and, and the price that's paid by these low-wage workers is, you know, often um, they were uh, derailed for child care, their own child care, not able to continue in school, not able to advance in work, and then toward the end of their lives, mid, or toward middle age, let's put it that way. Let's hope that's not the end, but middle age. <laughs> Here they are again, um, now, you know, caregiving for others or even in their own home, and they cannot engage in the workforce actively. Yeah. Um, I often write that there's there's these uh, studies about what it costs a woman, the average woman, to uh, reduce her workload or flex her workload or stop working outside of the home when kids are little. And that can go into the millions of dollars if you project that out. And then there are studies about what it does to older women um, who, toward retirement, have to retire early, have to bump off of their executive tracks, have to, whatever they do to start caregiving for spouses, loved ones, um, parents, and how much they lose. How much earning right. power they power, lose. Right at the top where they should be at the top of their earning power. And guess what? Those aren't separate women. That's the exact same woman who is taking off twice. Um, and so people don't look at the longitudinal effect of caregiving on women's um, earning yeah. and, and how that traps them into poverty in old age. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our really wonderful conversation with Des Cooper. Also, you can check her out tonight from 7 to 8 p.m. at Marygrove College, an evening with Desiree Cooper at Marygrove College. Uh, also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of the show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We will be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and activist, a full-time caregiver for her aging parents. She is going to be at Marygrove College tonight, an evening with Desiree Cooper at Marygrove College. That's from 7 to 8 p.m. at 8425 West McNichols Road here in Detroit. If you want to join the conversation and talk to us about caregiving, uh, giving care to spouses or parents or other relatives uh, or receiving care, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. we got a lot of folks who want to talk about this subject. Teresa in Detroit, you're up first. Yeah, uh, I- I'm on my third caregiver person now. I had my father-in-law, my mom, and now my husband. Mm-hmm. And 
I understand. I agree with everything that Ms. Cooper is saying, but I want to put another dimension. When those people leave and go to heaven, you are going to be, it's a feeling, you know you did what you were supposed to do when you were here, and that's a good feeling. Mm. Teresa, I I really appreciate the call and, and the thoughts there. Yeah. Do you feel that, Des, that when your parents leave, you will be thankful for having done what you're doing? Um, yeah, absolutely, yes. I mean, part of the calculus is how can you live with yourself <laughs> going if you forward did. if you didn't. Um, but plenty of people do live with themselves without um, moving back into the family. I, I moved back into the family home in the back guest bedroom with the twin bed and no space for any. <laughs> my stuff was in, you know, a pod and in the garage for years. So um, can, you, can everyone do that? I mean, on some, on, on some level, my brother is in the metro area. Um, full, he's working full time. He's an architect. Like, could he do that? No, you know, so I think um, it is a question of whose life is it and who owes who what of their own lives. And everyone has to make that calculus. A lot of people make it based on their faith, based on their upbringing, based on their culture. Um, and so you have to do that. My my issue is that that's what we count on as Americans. That is our public policy, like guilt, loyalty, <laughs> right. fidelity, is our public policy, particularly of women. Now, I, wanted, I did want to talk about men because what's very interesting is Women live longer, so that's why that's part of the reason why more Alzheimer's patients are women because they are living into the into older age and they're living longer with it. So what's happening now is um, those people who had smaller families, their their boys <laughs> are yes. having to step in to caregiving. Often, many have never married and don't have kids and have never even changed a diaper or had to take off work to take because someone else was sick or anything. And now they're full-time caregiving, like they're bathing, bathing their moms. Right. I mean, it's traumatic because we are not, we are not socializing or teaching men about, about how, these roles, about the roles that they are going to likely assume. And Oftentimes, men are in the caregiving role because within their family unit, they are the one with either not working or a flexible work schedule. Like they have the kind of work that they can do from home or mm -hmm. something. So it's not always like sort of the choice about I could, I'll give up my brother, give up his architecture career to take care of, you know. Um, it's like if he was already a painter at home or an artist at home or a writer at home, then, okay, move mom in with me because that makes sense. Women is different. Women literally step off of corporate career tracks. They literally retire early from high-power jobs 
or they never get to express the, that side um, of themselves. Right. So it's a different calculus between women and men still. Yeah. But it's interesting, the number of men that are caregiving now, um, and many of whom are younger, millennials, younger millennials, and the what's the generation coming behind them? I'm I getting, I'm getting losing track because I'm that old now. Me. I don't know. <laughs> but um, Next, generation next. Is that what okay, we'll about? go with that. But um, they're often, you know, we talk about the sandwich generation where people were raising kids and taking care of their parents. But there is a generation that never even got to launching their own families and our caregiving parents. Yeah. So something's got to give here because that's not a workable solution. Right, right. Uh, again, Teresa, really appreciate the call. Let's go to Bill in Detroit. Bill, what's on your mind? Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Well... I've been listening for 20 years, 25. This is the greatest subject you guys have ever had. Um, <laughs> I took care of my father. Um, I fly in private jets. My name's not Bill, by the way. But uh, it's the most important thing in the world. Anybody listening, you have to take care of your parents. It's really, really important. And yes, you can't live with yourself if you don't. And I did it. And I thank every single day I did. I wish I could talk to my father right this second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I took care of him for five years. I walked away from corporate America. My former wife, who called me during this conversation, I was on hold. She raised my daughter. She's still my best friend. And I guarantee the reason she is is because I took care of my father. She raised her daughter. Wow. Wow. Mm. That's a, so that's... The key is what Desiree, I've read your articles, both of you guys. Stephen, I got to admit, I was sad when uh, Craig left, but I love your program. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you for the subject. It's the only one that really, really got me. You, you hear where I am. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, it's I really appreciate people, it. People, please. Yeah. It's yeah. not about dollars, it's about taking care of the ones. You want to know why I could do whatever I wanted in my life? Because my father told me I could. Sure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I did. I've traveled the whole world. Yeah. Bill, and I really appreciate the call and, and the sentiments there. I mean, it is such a personal mm -hmm. issue for so many people. I mean, it just uh, it, it, it strikes at that, that core of who you are. Uh, and I think that's sort of mm -hmm. what Bill is trying to to reflect there. And in both callers, you know, the emotion, you know, I'm listening to them and getting teary-eyed as well. <laughs> um, it's so emotional. And I just wish that there was a framework where you could deal specifically with the emotional care of loved ones. And it, again, it's not just parents, spouses, friends. I, ha I have friends that, you know, never married and did not do not have people that are going to be taking care of them. And it's their friends that are going to be caregiving. Um, during We saw during the AIDS epidemic, I mean, complete strangers were taking in people who were terminally ill because no one else was around. How can this, how is this our policy? And, and why isn't there more wraparound so that with my parents, I can focus on the Sunday rides 
And I can focus on still trying to play Uno with my parents. And I can watch Steve Harvey for the 500th <laughs> Family Feud. <laughs> I have them all memorized. <laughs> and, and laugh with them and try to guess what the answers are. That should be where I am. It should not be... How am I going to get them to a doctor? Where is their medication? Who's going to be with them when I'm not there? You know, what if they fall out of bed? What if there's a fire in the house? You know, uh, uh, there should be far more support. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Bill, we really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Oriana in Detroit. Oriana, welcome to Detroit today. Let's go to Hey, good morning, Stephen Desiree. Thank you so much sure. for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I was actually driving, driving my daughter off at work, and my um, coworker Francis is like, "They're talking care on Detroit today. Someone call in." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'm actually um, working with a coalition called the Michigan Care Majority, um, and we. I'm so thankful for this. I mean, thank you to Bill because I understand what he's saying because I talk to people who are experiencing things like Bill and all of us and Teresa every day. Um, we're actually organizing the, around the issue of long-term care and what that looks like um, from the womb, you know, into the across the lifespan. Um, and so right now we are focused on, we are um, people who are in need of care, which is aging folks and people with disabilities. We are home, you know, home direct care workers. We are family caregivers, all trying to come together to bring awareness to this issue, like how deeply this focus, like this is really deeply, deeply affecting folks all across this country. And so I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, and you're right, um, Desiree, I, I heard you say something around like that cycle of um, because my mother took care of me, then I must take care of my mother, how that just really just kicks society out of the whole the whole spectrum and it just excuses them and that's not okay. Um, so we are working, uh, we're actually, we're going up April 9th to Lansing to, to talk to our policymakers about this issue. Mm. Um, we're a whole coalition across the state full of uh, advocacy groups and other groups who are doing elder care work and disability work um, who really believe that the change has to come. And a lot of it is societal and cultural, right? How are we looking at the dignity and respect that home caregivers, in-home caregivers and family caregivers are receiving? Yeah. Uh, Oriana, I really appreciate uh, the information that uh, that you've shared with us here on that call. Does that that does raise this this specter of the policy debate that you're getting mm-hmm. at, right? Mm-hmm. There are things that that we do and don't do in the law that make this worse for people like yourself, for uh, for the dynamics that surround this in terms of the the extraordinary burden on women and people of color. Uh, Oriana seems very focused on uh, the idea that that can change. Well, it better <laughs> change quick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not speaking just for me, like to save me, which would be nice. But um, it's a tide. It's a, it's a tidal wave. You know, medicine is focused on extending life. It's like we're not supposed to get sick and we're not supposed to die, you know. So medicine is on that end of the spectrum. And nothing is coming behind it about what happens when you live easily into your mid-80s and 90s. What, what, especially if you're going to retire or be out of the workforce for 40 years, 30 years, what does that look like? And so as a society, we are just not paying attention 
to um, where science is taking us, where medicine is taking us, and then the financial strictures, the the gender roles, all of that is conspiring on the opposite direction so that everything is offloaded onto women and nurturers, whoever they happen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the last caller was talking about um, the Michigan care majority, people don't realize the skill level that it takes to take care of a memory patient. Um, and so my mother um, has become almost, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a doctor now because I'm Googling so much. Um, but OCD, obsessive compulsive behavior, is just out of control. And so I can barely get her to, um, like, if we try to go to a restaurant, she will be distracted by every single thing between the car and the table. So I have learned that I have to put her in a wheelchair. She can walk. But I have to keep her. You need contained. her under some sort of physical control, right? Or, or people that get frustrated. My, my birthday's coming up, and and I said to my dad, "So, how old am I going to be on my birthday?" And he goes, "Ah, you got to be close to 80. <laughs> I'm like, "Right, Dad," because that's exactly how I Thanks feel. Thanks a lot, right? <laughs> but, but you don't correct people who have memory issues. You go, "Yeah." you laugh maybe that's a little closer and you kind of keep it going or you go into their universe you don't tell them they're wrong you don't correct I mean these are things you learn by trial and error I have learned that a white tub or a white toilet seat can look like a hole like an infinite hole to an Alzheimer's patient and so they don't they stop toiling like they don't want to go into a shower or a tub. They don't want to sit on a toilet because it looks like a giant gaping hole to them. I mean, come on. Who knows that? So, I mean, people who are skilled, there's a skill. Right. And we call and it. the question is then how do you get that skill if you're just someone's daughter trying right. to care for them? Exactly. And and the skilled workers bring in that dispassionate. I'm sitting here in grief that my mother doesn't know who I am, and I'm trying to say, please sit on this toilet right now. I need you to do this. A skilled worker doesn't have the baggage of, well, my mother beat me when I was four, and my dad left me, and now he's back, and now i got to take care of him. The skilled worker is looking at what the patient needs. And that dispassion, it's almost like having a therapist in your house. You know, you can't do therapy with your family. Well, you can't, a lot of that skilled worker, um, that skilled care is hard to give to a relative because of these other expectations that can be there. And they can be very loving expectations. Um, And we kind of poo-poo it like, well, they're only coming in to give my mom a bath and make up the bed and put some food on the table. No, there's skill to that, and we don't pay for that, and we don't recognize that. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Des Cooper and with you about caregiving. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Christina in Detroit, Bernadette in Redford, Susan in Detroit. We'll get to you next as well. Also, don't forget, you can see Des Cooper in an evening with Desiree Cooper at Mary Grove College tonight from 7 to 8 p.m. at 8425 West McNichols Road in Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest is Desiree Cooper. She's a journalist and activist, author of the book Know the Mother, but also a full-time caregiver for her aging parents, and that's what we're talking about, that role of caregiving, who will take care of us as we get older. Does that person have much of a choice about that caregiving, and if not, what does that do to that person, to that person's life? It's something we don't really think about when we think about end-of-life kind of care. Uh, if you want to join us, uh, give us a call. Uh, let us know if you're someone who's caring for a relative or a loved one and how you ended up in that situation. What would you like people to know about what you're doing? And if you're not a caregiver, is that something you think you might end up having to do at some point in your life? Would you take that on for the for a loved one? Uh, tell us why or why not. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, we were going to end the show today with a conversation with Neil Barclay, who is the new CEO of the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. We're going to move that to Friday because we have so many people who want to talk about this subject. Uh, we didn't allot enough time, so we're going to take that time now. Uh, let's go back to the phones and talk with Bernadette. Bernadette, what's Good on your morning, mind? Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Although it has been nearly 10 years since I had to provide end-of-care, um, the things that are being discussed are as fresh as if it was yesterday. My mother had dementia and uh, two children, and this can't... How you divide care seems to be unequal, in my opinion, Hmm. not just in my situation, but in that of people that I know. And it can really uh, destroy uh, the fabric of sibling relationships. There are so many doctor's appointments and even funeral arrangements having to come to some agreement about um, care and aftercare uh, can really be disharmonizing. Yeah, yeah. Bernadette, that's, that's a great a point. a good point. It's navigating the, the sibling. About... I mean, thank God I have one brother yeah. <laughs> who <laughs> I've one. loved my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and even there, you know, it's just been like, you know, whose house is it? You know, is it? can I take a picture off the wall or not? You know, this is the family home. Um you know, dividing, you know, the time off. I mean, he's working full time. His one day off, he really, he works around the place. He works hard. His one day off is Sunday and he comes and spends that with the family. So, I mean, it's not easy for him either. And yet I'm saying, this is my one day. You know, <laughs> if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. I, I need a break. Right. So it is totally, you know, one thing, Stephen, that I think most families don't do in particularly communities of color, is death planning. And what people don't understand, I, I, I did write something about when Aretha Franklin died in test state. Really? Aretha Franklin, no will. Really? <laughs> as long as she was ill? You know, I mean, how, did, how does this happen? So it's one thing to talk about a will and the after-death arrangements, but 
there can be a really long, slow walk up to death that people do not at all plan for. I think my my dad looks out of the window every day and says that he mowed the lawn and he hasn't mowed a lawn in three years. Mm. He looks at his truck in the driveway and says, I'm going to drive you to the airport, Des. And I'm like, you haven't driven. I took the keys. The battery's dead. You don't even know you haven't driven. So he has no concept that he needs help. He thinks he's who he was all along. So when do we slide into, you know, do and how long do you hold on saying, I can, I can, I can. I'm not going to bother anybody else, blah, blah. You know, I just, I, I had... Um, a woman that I called my godmother and I watched her downsize three times and move herself closer to her daughter out of state in old age. And I could not believe what I was seeing. The amount of planning she did around her old age and coming to grips with where she was in life was astounding because I know very few people who are not run over by the train. And I cannot understand why that happens. Mm. I cannot understand why adults don't look and say, well, I got to sell this house or move other people into this house. I got to have a plan. Or declutter this house. (laughs) Or, you know, I mean, and it has something to do with with economics, but just around what I got to start giving away things so that people aren't complaining about who got what while I'm alive. You know, you've got to take some control of this while you can take control. And I'm just sort of furious on the other end. I talk about the public policy, (laughs) but on the other end about grown people that just sort of walk silently into that dark night. And they have made no plans for what that's going to look like for their children, the siblings. They cause arguments and fights because they're not handling their business. Yeah. Wow. Bernadette. Again, thanks very much for the call. Let's go to Susan in Detroit. Susan, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hi. Um, Took care of my um, mother and anticipate I'll be taking care of my father in a few years. And the hardest thing was finding time for respite. I mean, if I read one more helping Mm -hmm. (laughs) tips for the caregiver about take time for yourself, it's just very difficult. And, you know, what I found, it was like really end of life before when my parent was receiving hospice care that they, there was the ability to get a couple days off. So Hmm. what I needed is throughout that care time, just to have consistent time off, you know, siblings would call in the morning and say, oh, I'm going to stop by (laughs) this afternoon. That that just didn't help. So any Hmm. recommendations would be greatly appreciated. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting question, Susan. The idea of support for caregivers, not just making sure they have time off, but while they're actually giving the care, making sure that they have the support they need. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I find like respite is just sort of a joke because I have, you know, I'm in the, as they talk about fight or flight, you know, I'm in that high adrenaline fight mode all the time. And so um, if I get time off, let's say somebody gives me a gift card and I go get a massage. I have one hour. Thank God they do that. Okay, (laughs) And I am grateful. I am one hour of a massage. And as soon as I get in that car and I'm driving home, my heart rate is going up. It's like erased in five minutes. You know, so part of it is like when you get to that 
high buzzing state. Respite means nothing. It just means an hour that you've had lunch by yourself mm-hmm. or an hour in a movie. But when you come back, you go you go from zero to a hundred right away. Um, and so there's got to be some other way that you don't get to that high level that you can kind of like pace it better. And so if there was more, and people talk about support groups, I don't belong to a support group. Um, and that's probably a big mistake because I've only heard great things about that. Um, for me, it's just like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's I where I am. It's, just leave me alone. It's hard to even but, make that step to make that approach to say, okay, yeah. I'm going to take time from what I'm doing or from not doing what I'm doing to go and engage in an entirely different space. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. It's a lot for me, like when I was raising babies and, you know, the child would go to sleep and you're like, okay. Am I going to take a nap? Am I going to eat? Am I going to work work out? <laughs> I Am I going to you know? Right. It's like, and then by the time you fi- figure out what you're going to do, they're up again. <laughs> and so I, I sort of feel like when I, if I have downtime, I'm taking a long, long walk. I am not going to go and sit in, in a closed room with more people. I, it just doesn't feel like what my little soul needs at that moment. Mm-hmm. But I, I would recommend, <laughs> based on what I've heard many other people say. Because what you uh, support groups, because you also get access to resources. But what I was going to say about that is like, why does it have to be that way where you've got to go and search out, you know, other people and you get together and you figure, I mean, these things should be, come on, we're all going in the same direction at some point. So why isn't this more readily accessible for everybody all the time? Yeah. 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 Uh, Again, thanks, uh, Susan. For the call and the comments, let's go to Sheikter in Detroit. Sheikter, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to share, um, like, um, I'm a professional engineer. I left my high-flying career from and flew to U.S. to take care of my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. One of the motivation I had when I had my grandmother in dead bed she took my promise, like I would take care of my mom and dad the way they took care of her. So it was all in the back of my mind. When mm-hmm. I got married, I told my wife, your mom and dad, the same as mine. I have to take care of them when they need, and I will take care of them when they need, when your mom and dad need. <laughs> if you're in agreement with me, come and marry me. And I'm very grateful to her as well. She's been allowing to take care of my mom and dad. Uh, last last years, uh, last few years, and gladly they're with me, both my mom and dad. Mm. My in-laws visit us. I'm grateful like what she's allowing me to do, uh, and I'm also raising two of my children. Wow. That's a lot. That's wow. an awful lot. Uh, I, I appreciate the call, and again, the perspective that this touches so many people's lives uh, that you just wouldn't know about, right? Mm. Uh, people don't get a chance to talk about all that they're carrying, all right. that they're doing in this space. Yeah. And, and um, Sheikter, you know, sounded like so committed, such a generous, loving person. Like, I'm not going to marry you <laughs> unless you, this is a vow, not just to me, but to our parents, to both sets, right, to all of us as a community. And that is, that is just so amazing. 
And I think a lot of people kind of take that that vow, you know, either on purpose or sort of tacitly or through their cultural upbringing or their religious upbringing. I think what happens um, for some is the shock of what that actually means um, and how much life can be turned upside down. Mm-hmm. And also the uh, financial precariousness that it puts uh, people in. Um, you know, what is my duty? I have two children. I have three grandchildren. So do I go bankrupt taking care of my parents, knowing that then I will be a burden to my children and taking sort of sucking away whatever legacy or anything inheritance or anything I could give possibly give them. Um, So you got to look up the ladder and down the ladder (laughs) about where this lands. If, If you've read my book, I'm, you know, gratuitously plugging no, Know okay. the Mother. <laughs> You're the guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, those stories are about some of the ambivalence that women bring to mothering. And I think that what I'd like to bring into this conversation about caregiving is it's, it's okay to say, I love, I'm committed, and I want to do this, and I wish they would go tomorrow. Hmm. Or I can't believe my life has been stolen. Or um, for me, I subscribe to Blue Apron because my parents are Southerners and I have to cook for them. <laughs> and right. I cook, I, you know, I have learned to fry things I right. never did in my whole life. And, you know, th- I mean, they eat, you know, yeah. low on the hog. Right, right. <laughs> and I couldn't get a, a meal. Yeah. You know, I can't I can't pay somebody so I can go to a restaurant. I can't buy that stuff. So I gave up literally what I eat every day. Wow. Wow. Uh, we're going to run out of time here. Mm-hmm. We've got about 30 seconds. But I want to get you to talk just a little bit about if people come tonight mm-hmm. to Mary Grove College, 7 to 8, to see you, what uh, what will they experience? Well, I will be uh, reading from Know the Mother, which is a collection of flash fiction, very, very, very short fiction that has to deal with some of these issues. Gender, the intimate experience of gender and race is, is sort of how I talk about it. And I'll be reading some of the n- new essays that mm-hmm. I've been doing about caregiving. About caregiving. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. Mary Grove, they have um, Defining Detroit series, mm-hmm. and it's like 18 years. Um, really, really good commitment to Detroit and um, sort of uh, researching and talking about who we are yeah. in this region. So I'm excited. Okay, Desiree Cooper, journalist and activist and author, is always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. It's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll talk with you again tomorrow.